you saw the mixtape thing go up there. Well, um, I'll give you a little backstory of how this all came about. Uh, a couple of, actually quite a few months later, quite a few months ago, uh, Bobby came to me and he said, hey, Daniel, I'd love for you to preach. Uh, get you up in front of the, the congregation. And I was like, uh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. So uh, as time got closer and he kind of kind of nailed down a date, I guess, and I started thinking about it, and, and really I got terrified. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, you know, I said, students are, are they're hard enough, and you're, now you're wanting me to talk in front of your people. You know, this is, this is your, your job. This is not mine. So um, I, told, I texted him, and I said, hey, listen, I just can't do it. I said, I'm just not ready right now. I said, I, I thank you for the opportunity. I, I just can't do it. He's like, that's cool, man. That's cool. Well, Bobby should have really been just like a salesman instead of a pastor because he just kept on and kept on. So we finally n- nailed down a date. He's like, hey, October the 7th. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Well, after he had asked me and I declined, I prayed to God. I said, God, if I ever, if I ever get in that situation again, to be able to preach, I said, let me preach on this subject right here. And then I kind of just let it be. And after, actually, we did a series on fear with the students not too long ago, and, and I preached this kind of a watered-down, a little bit watered-down message uh, of this and, uh, because I just I love this message. And I kind of forgot what I prayed about to God. And after we've not locked in our October 7th date, uh, it was two weeks ago, and I had no topic. Uh, so Bobby came off the stage one Sunday. He's like, hey, we're still good for October 7th, right? I said, yeah, yeah, we are. And he said, I said, so, you know, one thing, I, one question I've got. He's like, what's that? And I was like, what's the topic going to be on? Because I'd been, we'd been in John. I was like, all right, well, I'm kind of looking at the timeline here. I'll talk, maybe like Jesus feeding the 5,000, walk on the water, something like that. I was kind of mentally preparing. And he came off stage and he's like, hey, we're going to do a mixtape series. And I'm like, whoa, you threw me a curveball. I'm like, what is a mixtape series? He was like, well, he said, you take one of your favorite sermons I'm going to take one of mine, and Wesley's going to take one of his, and we're just going to present them and, and preach them. I was like, thank you, God. You are the man. <laughs> I was like, hey, this is, that's pretty cool of you. So this morning, we're going to talk about something that's kind of relevant in my life, I mean, right now, and that's fear. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little afraid. I'm talking in front of you guys, but we're going to talk about fear. Everybody has fear. It's a very common thing in our lives, isn't it? I mean, from the fear of getting up in the morning and making sure we're looking good, to the fear of, man, do I, am I going to have enough money at the end of the month to pay this bill? Or is my marriage going to work? Is my relationship going to survive? We all have fear. It's very common. See, the Bible talks about fear all the time. All throughout the Bible, we hear about fear. You know, the Bible roughly speaks about fear about around 365 times. The Bible mentions fear not. Or do not be afraid. Give or take a few. You know, I started thinking about that. A fear not. 365 times, roughly that. I was like, you know what? That's a fear not for every day of your life. For every day that you get up in the morning, your feet hit the ground. That's a fear not from God that he brings. Fear not. And we get this. Faith activates God, but fear activates the devil. Just as faith activates God's move in your life, fear activates Satan's movement. Just as faith is God's conduit in which everything he has flows to you, Satan's conduit to our life 
to see it. We see in the, if you have, if you have your Bibles or your version app or whatever you have, um, if you can, look in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I went in and used the King James Version there because I like that. I like that version. I like that, the way that that sounds. Different versions say it a little bit differently, but the King James Version, I know it's some of you are like, oh, that's kind of, you know, old school, but I like that. It says, for God has not given you the spirit of fear. You'll hear me, you'll hear, you, you will hear me reference that many times this morning. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. See, fear, it dates back all the way to the beginning of time. If we look in Genesis, if you have your, your Bibles or you, or I'm going to kind of flip it this morning. Uh, said, please don't say in your Bibles. It sounds old school. So that's just a part of me. I just, it just comes out. So <laughs> if you have your Bibles, <laughs> turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we're going we're gonna to look in verse number 8 through 10. I'll give you a little backstory. Of this. Adam and Eve had just sinned in the Garden of Eden. And now they are hiding. So we'll start reading in verse 8. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, they were afraid. See, the number one thing that has resulted in sin is fear. They sinned, they were afraid. Fear, we all have it, but God has not given us the spirit of fear. I did a little research on fear, and there are hundreds of thousands of fears out there. Tons of fears, from, from the fear of a white line, which is kind of crazy. People have fear of white lines, I don't know. And I'm not talking about the roaring line, just a white line. To the fear of, of grass, to the fear of water, to the fear of sharks, to the fear of dying. Uh, the poll not too long ago, that's uh, what's the number one fear, and said, Speaking in public. Well, number two, people would rather die than speak in public. <laughs> well, that was kind of odd. But, but yeah, we all have fears. They have the fear. My biggest fear is mice. I hate mice. I, can't, I was telling Drew this morning, I was like, I cannot stand rats and mice. I was like, it, it's just uh, something about those little gray furry bodies and beady eyes and, and, and long hairless. Oh, uh -uh. oh, I can do anything but, but a mouse. But fear, we all struggle with it. So here's, what, here's what's kind of crazy about fear. You know we're only born with two fears? Just two. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's why when, a, when you clap your hands or slam a door around a small baby, it will jerk or it'll cry or wake up. So I started thinking about that. If we were only born with fears, fears or learned fears, and if you can learn fear, you can unlearn fear, right? Because fear will paralyze you. It will cripple you. It will stop you in your tracks. It will tell you you look foolish. It will tell you that, hey, listen, you can't do it. But for God, God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know how many people go through life and not accomplish anything because fear holds them back? You want know to think the number one the number one richest places in all America is, it's not the oil wells or the big corporations such as Google or Microsoft or, or, or different 
places that just bring in tons of money. You know what I think the, the richest places in all of the world are? Graveyards. And you say, that's kind of weird, Jamin. Graveyards? Why is that? Because here's the thing. God gave somebody an opportunity. God gave somebody a dream. God gave somebody a vision. And guess what? They died with it. They, did, they let fear cripple them. They let fear, pa- power, the, the fear of power, or f- fear of, oh man, I got tongue-tied. They let fear just take control of them. God gave somebody a song to sing that would reach millions and glorify him, but guess what? Satan said, no, no, you can't do it. You'll look foolish. And fear just crippled them. God gave somebody a book to write that would, that would reach millions of people. And yet fear just paralyzed them and they died with it. See, I think that we are, we are now living in, in the times of the last days. You hear about the rapture all the time and, and some people uh, say you know, different things about it. But I think we're living in the, in the end times when Jesus is going to come back. I really don't think that I'll die. I think I'll be raptured up, to be quite honest with you. I tell, tell my wife all the time, I said, hey, I'll, I, don't, I don't think I'll die. Because if you look in, in Luke chapter 21 and verse number 26, it talks about the end times, and it says, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are come on the earth, but, but for the power of heaven will be shaken. People have fear all over the United States, all over the world. Men's hearts fail them. I've got friends now that won't go to the UT football game, even though we won yesterday. That was a big victory for UT balls. They won't, they won't go to football games, not because they're bad. It's because that they're afraid they're going to get shot. I've got fra- friends that are terrified to go to the lake because they're afraid they're going to drown. They let fear cripple, cripple them from having a good time. Fear, it will cripple you. We all have it, but man, how do you face those fears? How do you overcome fears? Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite Bible characters. I'm telling you, this guy is, he is just awesome. Some of you may have heard him. I know the teenagers have because they, they heard me speak about this, but uh, some of you may have heard him, some of you may have not. And what he spoke very briefly throughout scriptures, but what he did in that small amount of time earned him into the greatest book of all times, which is the Bible. And it earned him one of the greatest victories, in my opinion. He, he was earned one of the greatest victories. His name is Benaiah. Anybody ever heard of Benaiah? Nobody? Wow. Benaiah, he is a crazy guy. He is a crazy, crazy cat. And his story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 20. If you... You want to turn there and get in your YouVersion app? I exactly the, uh, the event section there in YouVersion so you can follow along in your notes. But his story begins here in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20. A little backstory to this. In 8, 8 through 19, David's introducing uh, us to his warriors and his men. And there are some fierce men. There are some crazy individuals that he has. And the guy that I want to on this morning is a man man by the name of Benaiah. And we'll start reading his story in verse number 20. It says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kebzel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. 
He had struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. This dude's pretty crazy, is he not? This is a pretty crazy guy. He fought, he fought two aerials of Moab. And first of all, he was the son of Jehoiada. And I don't know if you can give you a little backstory of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was a leader among, <clears throat> among the priests and had rallied over 3,700 men to support David when he was crowned in Hebron. You can read, that, you can read about that in uh, 1 Chronicles. But this means Benaiah was from the tribe of Levi. And it's, it goes on and it says that, that he struck down two, verse number one, says he struck down two aerials of Moab. Old Testament scholars are still kind of up in the air or divided about what the sons of Ariel means. Uh, if you take the Hebrew word for lion is Ariah, this is very similar to Ariel. And if you take James Version and read it, it says that he killed two lion-like men. So if that word is correct, and he killed two lion-like men, then these were two great, huge, fierce men that he defeated. And that makes that story even more epic, that he went and killed two lion-like men. And then, this is what's crazy. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Anybody know anybody that's killed any, pit, any lions? I, I don't. This, I mean, this is unheard of. This guy went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Can I borrow your imaginations for a second? I work with the teenagers, and I have to I use illustrations a lot and, and, and borrow their imagination. So I like to imagine kind of things about the Bible. But if you can imagine Benaiah on that day, as he gets up, I don't know if he's sipping his coffee. I have no idea what he's doing. But he gets up, and, and he goes and takes a walk. It's snowing. I love to take walks in the snow. I really do because it's very peaceful. It's quiet. And I could just imagine it maybe snowing a lot. And you know how it is when it's snowing really heavy. It, it, it obscures your, your sight. And maybe Benaiah's walking. And I don't know how it all plays out. The Bible really doesn't, play, doesn't tell how it plays out. But I've, heard, I've read different commentaries and different things on, on how it played out. I don't know what, what exactly is true, but... In my mind, maybe Benaiah is walking, and all of a sudden he hears some rustling over in the bushes over there. And he's not real sure what it is. And he looks and he hears something. And he, he looks over there, and him and the lion maybe lock eyes. I don't know. And I don't know what happens. I don't know if he chased the lion or the lion chased him. But all I know is the lion ended up in a pit. If it was me, I would have said, praise God, you deliver again, and I would have went home. But Benaiah was a fear fighter. Benaiah looked in the pit, and he looked around, he looked in the pit, and he made a decision that would alter the rest of his life. Nobody would have blamed him if he would have, if he would have walked away. Nobody would have thought he was a coward. Nobody would have thought less of him. But guess what? Benaiah said, God's given me an opportunity. I've got to go in this pit. So what Benaiah does is he gets in this pit on a snowy day, and he whips this lion. He fights and defeats a lion. And if you and I were there, could you imagine the screams and the yells of Benaiah and the roars of the lion? 
and all of a sudden, deafening silence. And if you and I were there, we would have probably turned around and really ran because we knew the lion's probably mad and we may be next. But out comes Benaiah. And he's got sweat on his brow and blood dripping on the freshly driven snow. And if you think Benaiah looks bad, you ought to see the lion, right? But the Bible says after this battle, he goes and fights an Egyptian. And it says he's a good-looking, handsome man. I don't know why they put that in there, but, but he, they do. But he fights him, and he takes his club and beats the Egyptian and kills him. And what happens at the end of this in 23 and 23, David makes him the captain over his bodyguards. And could you imagine if David, he sat in his office one day, and he's got an opening on his staff for, for chief of bodyguards. And he's going through applications, and he's looking, and, and he's got Pete that interned at the palace guards, and he's got Joe, he served nine years in the Brinks Armed Chariot Service. And we've got... David, he is a guard currently at the, the palace here. And then he comes to Benaiah's resume that's on his desk. And it says, I went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and I've got the rug in front of my fireplace to prove it. Benaiah was a fear fighter. Benaiah didn't back down. He could easily say, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But guess what? After he defeated that line, after he defeated all those guys, he was made captain of the, the bodyguards. And then in, in 1 Kings chapter 2 and 35, 34 and 35, it said, and the king, well, look at verse number 35, it says, and the king appointed Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, in, jo in Joab's place over the army. And he appointed Zodiac, the priest of Abathar, in Abathar's palace. So in the next administration of Solomon, not only was he that made captain of the bodyguards he was put the second most powerful man in all Israel it all happened because he didn't back down from the scariest moment of his life why is it important that you conquer fear you don't let fear paralyze you you don't let fear cripple you because if that man had let fear paralyze him in that situation he would have never gotten to take advantage of the God-given opportunity that God gave him. And I want you to get this right here. If you don't get anything at all, at all, this service, I want you to get this right here. Always remember, a God-given opportunity is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. I'll repeat that. Always remember, a God-given opportunity is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Many times people want a God-given opportunity, but they want it lying free. They want a money-back guarantee. They want no issues, no problems. They want nothing. But, but guess what? God doesn't give you the finished miracle. He says, hey, listen, there's lions in that pit on snowy days that you've got to fight. But guess what? If you go in there and you face the fear that I have set before you, I want to show you great and astonishing things. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. We have to understand that our fear will rob us of our greatest opportunities. Benaiah's scariest moment turned into his greatest opportunity. I thought in my life that my scariest moments turned into my greatest opportunities. When I was younger, the church I attended, we took a trip 
every year to Daytona Beach, Florida. You say, well, that sounds like a pretty good trip, Daniel. Well, the trip that I took was a little bit different than the trip you're probably thinking about. We went down on spring break in Daytona, and we told people about Jesus. We would walk up to complete strangers and said, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus. And people are down there, and they're partying, they're having a good time, and really and truly, Jesus and God is the last thing on their mind. It really is. And here I am, I'm 17, I was maybe 17, 18 years old, and I'm walking on the beaches of Daytona. And back in that time, they had MTV Spring Break. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but they had that, and it was, it was rowdy. And here I am, 17, 18-year-old guy, walking on the beach telling people about Jesus. And I tell, I've told this story many times, and I'll tell, tell it again because it is just an, an awesome representation of how God works. I was walking on the beach, and there was uh, a group of large, large men coming my way. And God said, hey, listen, you need to talk to them. Tell them about me. And I'm like, Phew. I don't think so, buddy. He says, yeah, you are. You're going to talk to him. And you know how it is when God speaks to me, my heart was just pounding. I mean, it was just pounding. I felt like I was going to burst out of my chest. And it was God telling me, you've got to talk to him. You've got to talk to him. So not only were they rather large gentlemen, they had super soakers in their hand. Anybody remember the super soakers, the old squirt guns? Well, they didn't have it filled with water. They had it filled with vodka. And what they were doing is they were pumping it up, and people would get down, and they would squirt it in these people's mouths. It's the spring break. They're crazy. Here I am telling people about Jesus. So here I am. I walk, and God's telling me, you've got to talk to him. You've got to talk to him. I'm like, no. So I went all the way around. I even got in the water to, to avoid these guys. And I said, show you, God. Show you. He's like, no, I'm about to show you, Daniel. I'm about to show you. So I thought that they were gone. I thought that they were out of the way. I walked for a while. And I thought, you know, I'm going to turn around. Well, I turned around. Well, guess what? Those guys turned around, too, and were following me. Imagine that, you know? Imagine that. And not only were they big gentlemen with super soakers, they were part of the Notre Dame football team. So I kind of turned around, and guess what? There they were. And God said, I told you, it's your opportunity. So I said, hey, guys, can I talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> and they said, well, you know what? a matter of fact, yeah, you can. And I was like, what? I was like, you're kidding me. So guess what? I talked to them about Jesus. I shared my faith. You know what? Those guys came to know Christ. They did. They gave their lives to Christ that day on the beaches of Daytona, squirting people with vodka. God used me in my scariest moment to turn it into the, my greatest opportunity. If I, would have, if I would have said, you know what, God, I don't want to. I'm going to keep on walking. Those guys could have never heard about Jesus. Who knows what it would have happened. You know what happened after that? That guy took his super soaker up and pumped it. And I'm like, oh, listen, man. I'm like, hey, uh, I thought I was going to get a, mal you know, a face full of, of alcohol. But he pumped that thing up and got it tight. And he held his gun in the air and he squirted it. And he yelled. And he said, hey, everybody, listen. You all need to talk to Daniel. He's got a message. I was like, whoa. I was like, this is a God thing. God used me. God took my scariest moment and turned it into my greatest opportunity. I thought when I was, you know, I thought another opportunity. When I, when I was getting married to my wife, Erica, when I asked her to marry me, it was my scariest moment. Man, I took it out. I planned all this, this big thing, and I got down on one knee. Man, she could have said no, but she said yeah. She probably wishes she would have said no, but <laughs> she said yes. 
my scariest moment turning my greatest opportunity. I married her, have two boys. The scariest moment turning my greatest opportunities. God loves to defy odds. God loves to put us in situations that, hey, it doesn't look like a pretty good, it doesn't look like the outcome is going to be in our favor. But look at Benaiah. Look at the odds that he had to face. He fought two lion-like men. He fought a lion. I mean, that's, that's bad odds right there. Then he fights an Egyptian. The odds were against him. His odds were not good. But God says, listen, I've got an opportunity for you, Benaiah. I've got an opportunity for you. Act on it. Don't let fear cripple you. Don't, don't let fear paralyze you. You see, God's odds are different than our odds. Think about that little boy with the, with the five loaves and two fishes that feed the 5,000. I mean, look at those odds. I mean, if my math's correct, five plus two equals seven, right? And that means he's 4,993 mils short. But in God's economy, in God's eyes, five plus seven equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. Because they took up 12 baskets after they all were fed. You see, what I'm, say, what I'm saying to you is I'm saying that when God is in the equation, your nothingness plus God's almightiness equals more than enough to conquer anything, any fear that you have in your life. Because God has not given you the spirit of fear. He has not. And God, God gives us opportunities. It, it's kind of funny how God works. God gives us opportunities in, in inopportune times, doesn't he? He gives us opportunities when it's not convenient to us. See, we're, it's hard for me to, to, to grasp this because a lot of times I like to work on my schedule. And God says, hey, this is not, this is not your life. I'm in, I'm in control of it. You're not in control of it. And I, I think about when Bobby asked me to preach a couple months ago. It was a very inopportune time for me, to be quite honest with you. We had just sold our house. We were in the process of building another one. Uh, Eric and I were in some intense fellowship times. Uh, and we, we had stuff going on. We had, we had uh, the youth stuff coming up. I was getting prepared for it, trying to do different things. And I was just overwhelmed. And I even told Eric, I said, I'm not going to do it. And God says, yeah, you are. He says, I'm giving you an opportunity. And I'm not going to lie to you, the devil has ripped and roared me to pieces the last four or five, well, weeks. He's told me I'm not good enough. He's told me I suck pretty much. He's told me you can't do this. People are not going to listen. And God says, yes, they are. He says, no, they're not. The, and the Bible says Satan is like a, a roaring lion. And guess what? That, the devil was, was roaring inside of me. The, the, Satan was just, just hounding me, saying I was not good enough. God says, yeah, you are. Face the fear. So I said, you know what, God? I'm going to do it. So guess what? I'm standing. I'm preaching. You. I, I have no, God given me an opportunity. I have no idea what kind of victory it's going to be, what, what kind of victory is going to come about it. But I know that he's got a plan. He'll use this message. I have no idea. Uh, probably very pit pitifully uh, spoken, but he's going to use it somehow, some way. I know he is. Because you know what? God gave me that opportunity. Bobby could have asked anybody in this whole entire world. But God told him to ask me. And I was not going to let fear. I almost did. I almost came so close to letting fear overcome me. You know what? 
I'm so glad I didn't. Because God is in the equation. And if God's in the equation, all things are possible, right? You can do all things through Christ, right? Because God has not given me the spirit of fear. So you say, hey man, I, what if I fail? What if I, what if I look stupid? Maybe God's calling you to do something today. I have no idea. I have no idea what God's calling you to do. But, but God's given you an opportunity. You say, well, God doesn't give me opportunities. And he, yeah, he does. He gives each and everybody an opportunity each day. Each day you wake up, God gives you some kind of opportunity. I don't know what it is. It could be just sharing your faith. It could be going into the, the mission field. I have no idea. But God gives you an opportunity. But a lot of times we don't act on those opportunities because what? Fear cripples us. Fear stops us in our tracks. Don't be like the people that, that, that die and take opportunities with them. Be like Benaiah that overcomes great odds and God shows them great victories. So I challenge you with a couple of things. What is it today that is holding you back from your God-given opportunity? What is it? I don't know what it is. Only you do. And number two is, what today overcome the fear you're facing? What can you do about it? You say, well, I'll look dumb, I'll look foolish. I, I can't do that. I just cannot. I cannot. Well, guess what? Feel the fear and do it anyway. The band's going to come play here. I mean, I told you I wasn't long-winded. I'm not at all. I'm not like Bobby or Wesley. They can, they can talk forever. I, I, I just, uh, you know, I try to get to the point and be done. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm going to be a little old-fashioned this morning. Uh, as they come and play, I'm going to open up the front of this stage right here, kind of like an old-fashioned altar. Everybody knows what an old-fashioned altar is. People come and pray. People come and give everything to God. They just lay it all out right in front of the thing. You say, well, man, I can pray at my seat. Man. Well, yeah, you can. You can pray at your seat. But there's something about getting up from your seat and coming up front and saying, you know what, God, I don't care. I could care less about what people think of me. I'm giving everything to you. Maybe this morning you have a fear of, uh, of, of finances. I don't know. Maybe you're, you're afraid of, of your marriage. Maybe you're afraid of, uh, of whatever. I have no idea what you're afraid of. Just come down front. You, just give it all to God. Because here's the thing. When you guys get out of your seat and come, we're not looking at you. We don't really care. We care. I'm sorry. That's bad. We really care. That was terrible. Yeah, strike that. <laughs> we, we care. We don't care what you look like coming forward. Because there was power in numbers. We want to pray for you all. We want to pray for you. Let us pray for you. Let us pray with you. I've seen crazy things done in an old-fashioned altar. People's lives changed. Fear faced. God can do unbelievable things in your life if you just let him. Just be willing to say, God, you know what? I'm giving it all to you. Maybe God's calling you to be in the ministry. Maybe God's calling you to start a, a small group. Maybe God's calling you to be a, a youth worker because, man, we need a lot. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but only you do. Don't let fear cripple you. Don't let fear hold you down. Just feel the fear 
and do it anyway. As they play, we're going to take up communion. We do every Sunday. It, represent, it represents that, that Christ was broken. His body was broken when he was hung on the tree and he died for our sins and when he rose again on the third day. So we, we ask you guys if you'd like to come take communion with us. And if you guys want to, just please come pray. I'll be down here in front, and maybe today you're here and you're like, hey, listen, this God stuff, I don't even know about him. I don't even know about God. And I'm afraid, that, I'm afraid uh, where I'll go when I die. I have no idea where I'll go. Man, I'll be glad to take the Bible and show you that you can know for sure where you're going. So let, don't let fear conquer you. Let God take control. Let's pray.